Today, we will look at some of the important markers of a Christian life. So grab your notes, pen, and I'll be back with that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm so glad that you could join us for Bridges today. I'm Monica Schmelter, and on Bridges, we bring you hope for the journey. Today, we're going to look at some of the very important markers of a Christian life, and I'm taking that uh, from the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which there are eight blessings in total, and I hope that we will be able to get through three of them today. But the things, the markers, the things that Jesus points to as very important to a follower follower of Christ's life. So we're going to start today with Matthew 5, and I will read verse 6 out of the New Living Translation. And Jesus says there, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. And as we look at that, Basically, what Jesus is saying is, look to God. Look to God for everything. Develop that spiritual hunger for righteousness, as the New Living Translation says, justice. But it's speaking of the same thing. And it's saying that when our hearts delight, when our hearts desire is for righteousness, is for justice, that then... And only then will we be satisfied. And you know, we live in a world, and and you think about these words that Jesus is speaking, and these words were very countercultural at the time. They were revolutionary. There was not a leader, a religious leader that would have ever spoken like this, who would say those that hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness would be satisfied. Um, So Put yourself and put ourselves in the position of the people in this day and age. This is all new to them. This is really out there. And what Jesus is saying is that in order to be satisfied in this life, in order to have that godliness with contentment that's great gain, our focus, our hunger, our thirst has to be for justice. It has to be for righteousness as the word of God defines it. We live in a time now that it's really popular for people to say, well, I have my truth and you have your truth and we'll just all kind of coexist together with our own truths. And the thing about that is God does give us all a free will. We can all have opinions about all things 
And we can hold on to whatever opinions about things that we want to. That doesn't mean that our opinions, that our thoughts, that they're necessarily right. It doesn't mean that those things will gain us into eternal life, into a life of heaven. Uh, Think about it. In every community, for example, there have to be guidelines, right? There have to be rules to follow. If you're driving in a city, right, you're going to see traffic lights. If I decided today that a red traffic light didn't mean stop, it would only take one person disobeying that to really cause a potential horrible accident, right? We all have to, in order for a city's traffic to flow, we all have to obey the traffic light. We all have to know that red means stop, that yellow means proceed with caution. It does not mean speed up for those of you who think it might. And green means go. If any one person doesn't abide by that, it can be problematic. And it's the same thing with truth. God's word is the absolute truth. And whenever and wherever we decide to deviate from that, there will be problems. Those problems might not show up in a minute. It might take a while to get a consequence, but consequences will happen both in this life and in the life to come. But Jesus is saying here, look to God. And I want to take you to the book of Philippians and use this example where the apostle Paul is speaking, where he's talking about really hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm going to read from Philippians 3 and starting with the sixth verse. Paul says, and I'll read out of the New Living Translation. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable. And he's referring to his education, his former way of religiosity. I once thought those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, Everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and be one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience resurrection from the dead. And what Paul is saying here is basically all of his education his former religious way of life, all of the things that he was counting on to get him somewhere, he now counts them as garbage. In some translations, he uses, it's translated as dung. He now counts all of that as worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Now, imagine this as we talk about these eight blessings, this famous Sermon on the Mount, these markers of a Christian life that one of the markers of a Christian life is to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. And then if we do that, that we are satisfied, that we are filled, which means that if we don't do that, 
we will not be satisfied. We will constantly be looking and we will constantly be longing. And if you think about it, that's so the place that this world is in. That's so the place that even many people that are Christians find themselves in because we haven't come to that place just yet of saying, knowing Christ and hungering for the things of God is far more important than all of the things that could happen on this earth. Like some people are still kind of vacillating between the two. Some people call it a foot in the world and a foot in the Bible, whatever. Whatever you want to call it is that state of being lukewarm, that state of still believing and counting on the things of the world and yet knowing that what God says is true. Well, what if today... What if today we decided to give that up and just obey the words of Jesus, which is to focus on him, to look to God? What if we just realized that there is a blessing for hungering and thirsting for justice? And that blessing is that we will be satisfied, that we will be content that we will no longer be going to and fro and looking here and there for our identity, for our affirmation, to feel better about ourselves, all of the self-help and the self-care. And listen, the Bible says we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So it is important that we care for ourselves. It is important that we pray for ourselves. It's good to pray for everybody, but to pray for our own strength, to pray for our own wisdom, revelation, understanding that is not bad. What the Bible is talking about is that selfish kind of way, that way where we put ourselves ahead of everybody else, that way of living where we are just seeking constantly the pleasures of this life rather than being satisfied with the things of God. What if we took the Apostle Paul's challenge and we said like him, you know, I just count everything that I had formerly counted on as garbage compared to knowing Christ. He says he even wants to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that in one way or another, he would be raised to life. And what a lot of us don't understand, the word suffer sounds awful, doesn't it? I mean, who signs up for suffering? If you're in school and your teacher, your educator says, oh, we've got a sign-up sheet here, and this sign-up sheet is for suffering. I mean, I'm not the first in that line. I'm not in the middle of that line. I'm not in the end of the line. It's like, I do not want to suffer. It's most unpleasant. But the suffering that the Bible talks about is not just suffering for suffering or for misery's sake. It's the kind of suffering that achieves a purpose. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So clearly, God's suffering, not suffering as a criminal, the kind of suffering that we would go through in obeying Christ, that kind of suffering brings us growth and maturation brings us closer to God. We begin to identify with Jesus in a richer and in a deeper way. We begin to understand what he suffered so that we could be saved. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about just being miserable. He's talking about 
if he does the right thing and he gets a bad consequence or he gets persecuted because he did the right thing, that he just accepts that as persecution. He accepts that suffering as a pathway to increased obedience and maturation. So if we could give up like our worldly way of thinking and of life and instead lean into the blessings that are available to us when we hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness that then and only then will we be satisfied. God's plan for us as believers, Christians do suffer. But along with that, There's that godliness with contentment is great gain. There's that satisfaction. There's that beauty of knowing that we love and serve Christ and that whatever suffering that we're going through, that's only moment momentary, it's light and it's achieving for us a far greater glory than what we could ever imagine. You all, for all of us who are in Christ, there is so much to look forward to. And if you don't know Christ yet, but you've been thinking about it, I encourage you, I encourage you, pick up your Bible and read it. Ask God to show himself to you. Even right now in this moment, ask Jesus to help you. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Make that commitment Because the life of a Christian, while there are some sufferings this side of heaven, what we have waiting for us is so wonderful, we cannot even imagine. And I want you to know on the website, monicashmelter.com, we'll have online extras, we'll have these resources. If you want to study these eight blessings, these beatitudes more fully, I encourage you to do that. You don't have to sign up, no cost, just you can just go on there and get the resources that you would like to study. We're going to go next to Matthew 5 and verse 7, and I'll read from the New Living Translation. One of my favorites. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I call this mercy over judgment. And mercy triumphs judgment every single time. I don't know why it is. I'm not really sure that I even know how it happens. But sometimes when people come to faith in Christ, they always come to faith in Christ by faith and and grace and faith expresses itself in love. Like we know that. We know that no one comes to God unless the spirit of God draws them. So there's that. We know that when we lift up the name of Jesus high, that he will draw all men and women unto himself. But sometimes, after people commit their lives to Christ, over time, begin to forget that it started with mercy. And when we forget that it all started with mercy, when we forget that we are totally and completely dependent on the mercy of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can get pretty judgmental legalistic. We know what every other Christian should be doing. We can call them out, blah, blah, blah. Listen, none of us know the state of someone else's heart and whether they are saved or not. 
you say, well, I can look at their actions and absolutely you can and I can. And we know that certain things are called out in the Bible as sin and sin is always sin and sin is always wrong. Not talking about that. I'm talking about when people want to get in other people's business, when someone just comes to Christ. They've been a Christian for two whole weeks. And the person that's been a Christian for 30 years doesn't just want to disciple them or mentor them or help them lovingly and with mercy. They're just like, you need to do this. You need to do this. That can be really hard and not helpful. So should we tell people the truth? Of course. Should we water down the truth? Never. But I'm sure you know what I mean that there are just some people who after that they've been a Christian for a while, somehow just start to believe that they were always mature and that everybody else needs to be at their level. And if not, they need to call them out. It would do us all good to remember that we are all in process. None of us get it right 100% of the time, but we know that what is 100% true is that we all need a savior. What we know is that we are all in need of his grace, of his forgiveness. The Bible says there isn't one that's righteous. No, not one. It says all like sheep have gone astray. And yet the Bible also says that when we were living as his enemy, when we were dead in our sins, that he loved us. We love him because he loved us first. And this blessing, this beatitude says he blesses the merciful and will be shown mercy. I know I need mercy. I need mercy every single day. I'm so glad that his word says that his mercies are new every morning. Thank God for that. And my heart is to be merciful to others, just like he's shown me mercy, to be merciful. And if someone is wrong, and if they are caught in a sin, and if they are open to it, that then, like the book of Galatians says, we restore them gently, lest we ourselves be tempted. So we're given that to be merciful to others, of course, tell them the truth, to lovingly redirect them back to the word of God. But all of this judgment, this damning people to hell and acting like we're happy about it. I mean, just seriously, even if you are 100% positive that someone is hell bound, it's still 100% wrong to be happy about that. If we're happy about that, like if we're gloating about that, then there's something wrong in our hearts. His word says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we all need mercy. I'm going to read here in just a moment from Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to pick up at a story that Jesus tells. And he talks about this situation where this king goes to this man. And this man owes this king a heap of debt. And there's no way that this guy can pay that debt. And so, you know, the king is going to bring consequences because this man can't pay what he owns. But the man begs for mercy. 
And the king has mercy. He has pity on this guy. And he's like, okay, I'm going to forgive your debt, right? Oh, happy dance. Oh, happy day. Watch what this guy does. Matthew 18, I'll start in verse 23, New Living Translation. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven, and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And of course, the point of the story is that just as we've been shown mercy, we need to be merciful. And this guy, you imagine that? All of this debt, a world of debt that he could not repay got forgiven because he pleaded. And yet, someone that owes him a much smaller amount, and that person can't pay. And this guy, after being forgiven of all of that, would not forgive the smaller amount. And does that not just speak to our hearts and just really point out the importance of mercy, the beauty of forgiveness out of all that we've been forgiven and the mercy that's been shown on us and that continues to be shown. Christians should be the most merciful people that they are, that there are on planet earth because we've received mercy and we continue to receive mercy. And I know a lot of people take the discussion and they start to argue, well, you can't call sin right. You can't call evil right. Amen to that. We cannot. But what we can say to people who are struggling with sin, what we can say is there is mercy for you. Jesus loves you. What we can say to people that are in bondage, you can be set free. He was merciful to me, and he'll be merciful to you. We're not called to overlook sin or to wink at it, but we're called to have a merciful heart. And so our attitude, our prayers, right, for family members, for people in our lives, for people in our community, our prayers can be that the lost would be saved, that we identify with the mission of Christ, that he came to seek and he came to save the lost. That story about Jesus leaving the 99 to go getting the one, the shepherd leaving the 99 to go get the one. Of course, the story is about the one. It's about the one that strayed, but it is also about the goodness of the shepherd. The shepherd who would go out of his way to go get the one that strayed. And when we understand that our God is that kind of God, we will walk in mercy every single day. I want to go to the next blessing or beatitude, Matthew 5, 8. It says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Pure hearts are hard to come by these days. 
We've got so much junk, whether it's on the internet, whether it's in film, whatever kind of media, man, and whatever we take in, we become. And so the Bible here talks about protect your heart. The book of Proverbs says it like this, guard your heart because out of it are the wellsprings of life. Out of it come the issues of life. And so a pure heart is found as we renew our minds in his word every single day. I want to read to you out of Matthew 1, starting verse 18, to see a pure heart in action in the Bible. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And I mentioned this scripture only because it shows a pure heart. If we look at Joseph at this point in time, and we know that Joseph, it was eventually explained to him, and he knew that what happened with Mary was a supernatural miracle of God. But at the time that Joseph thought that he had been betrayed, that Mary had wronged him, rather than tell everybody in the community and make a big scandal out of it, it said he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Wouldn't it be nice if as believers in Christ, we could be more like that when we're betrayed or when we're hurt, that rather than spewing it all in social media or text messages or this or that, how we were wronged and how we need to be vindicated, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying that we can't speak up for what's right. I'm talking about an overreach of just demanding <laughs> to be right, demanding to be vindicated. Joseph's heart was pure. Even in a betrayal, he did not want to publicly, what he thought was betrayal, because it wasn't, but what he thought was betrayal, even in that hurtful situation, he didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to make a public uh, spectacle of her. He didn't want to take what he thought was already a betrayal and make it worse. And the Bible says that when we have a pure heart, that we will see God. And I know that this means, right, someday in heaven, we will see God. But I also think that this means today, right now, here on planet Earth, that the pure, our, pure that word is hard for me to say, but you know what I mean, the more pure our heart is, the more revelation we will have from God's word the more that we will hear him speak to us in that still small voice, the more that we will receive from him the clarity and the direction that we need inside of our lives. And a pure heart comes from renewing our minds and our hearts in the word of God. It comes from praying. It comes from obeying the world and word and putting the things of the world far, far, far away from us. So today's hope for the journey is 
you will be blessed when you consider the motives for your actions because the pure in heart will see God. And I know for myself, I want to see God. I want more clarity, more wisdom, more revelation. And I know that you do too. So we can start that today by praying for a pure heart, by putting the things of the world far from us and looking to God for everything. That's all for today. I've got to go. Thanks for watching Bridges. I will see you next time where we will bring you more hope for the journey. Don't miss another episode of Bridges. Subscribe to our YouTube channel today where you can find all of Monica's latest teachings. Just visit youtube.com, search Monica Schmelter, and click subscribe. Once subscribed, click the bell icon to get notified when a new episode is available. Thanks for watching Bridges. Join the Bridges community on Facebook. Visit Facebook and search for Bridges with Monica. We would love to connect with you. If you want to grow your faith and understand God's Word more fully, then monicashmelter.com might be just the place for you. You'll find all of Monica's teachings on demand, complete with online extras. Get started today, because truth changes everything. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.